Chapter Twenty Eight, Part Two of Belinda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Belinda by Maria Edgeworth. Chapter Twenty Eight, Part Two. These thoughts were, however, driven from his mind, and scarcely left a trace behind them, when he once more saw and conversed with her. The dignity, sincerity, and kindness which she showed the evening that he put the anonymous letter into her hands charmed and touched him, and his real feelings and his enthusiasm conspired to make him believe that his whole happiness depended on her smiles. The confession which she made to him of her former attachment to Clarence Harvey, as it raised in Vincent's mind strong emotions of jealousy, increased his passion as much as it piqued his pride, and she appeared in a new and highly interesting light, when he discovered that the coldness of manner which he had attributed to want of sensibility arose probably from its excess, that her heart should have been preoccupied was more tolerable to him than the belief of her settled indifference he was so intent upon these delightful varieties in his love for belinda that it was not till he had received a reproachful note from mrs luttridge to remind him of his promised visit with juba that he could prevail upon himself to leave twickenham even for a few hours Lady Delacour's hatred or fear of Juba, which she accidentally mentioned to Miss Annabella, appeared to her and to her aunt the most extraordinary thing upon earth, and when it was contrasted with her excessive fondness it seemed to him indeed unaccountable. From pure consideration for her ladyship's nerves, Mrs. Luttridge petitioned Vincent to leave the dog with her that helena might not be in such imminent danger from the animal's monstrous jaws the petition was granted and as the petitioners foresaw juba became to them a most useful auxiliary juba's master called daily to see him and sometimes when he came in the morning mrs luttridge was not at home so that his visits were repeated in the evening and the evening in london is what in other places is called the night mrs luttridge's nights could not be passed without a deep play the sight of the e o table at first shocked mr vincent he thought of mr percival and he turned away from it but to his active social disposition it was extremely irksome to stand idle and uninterested where all were busy and eager in one common pursuit to his generous temper it seemed ungentlemanlike to stand by the silent censor of the rest of the company and when he considered of how little importance a few hundreds or even thousands could be to a man of his large fortune he could not help feeling that it was sordid selfish avaricious to dread their possible loss and thus social spirit courage generosity all conspired to carry our man of feeling to the gaming-table once there his ruin was inevitable mrs luttridge whilst she held his doom in her power hesitated only whether it would be more her interest to marry him to her niece or to content herself with his fortune 
his passion for belinda which she saw had been by some means or other increased in spite of the anonymous letter gave her little hopes of annabella's succeeding even with the assistance of juba and delicate sensibility so the aunt careless of her niece's disappointment determined that mr vincent should be her victim and sensible that she must not give him time for reflection she hurried him on till in the course of a few evenings spent at the e o table he lost not only thousands but tens of thousands one lucky night she assured him would set all to rights the run could not always be against him and fortune must change in his favour if he tried her with sufficient perseverance the horror the agony of mind which he endured at this sudden ruin which seemed impending over him the recollection of belinda of mr percival almost drove him to distraction he retreated from the e o table one night swearing that he never would hazard another guinea but his ruin was not yet complete he had thousands yet to lose and mrs luttridge would not thus relinquish her prey she persuaded him to try his fortune once more she now suffered him to regain courage by winning back some of his own money his mind was relieved from the sense of immediate danger he rejoiced to be saved from the humiliation of confessing his losses to mr percival and belinda the next day he saw her with unusual pleasure and this was the very morning clarence harvey paid his visit the imprudence of lady delacour joined perhaps to his own consciousness that he had a secret fault which ought to lower him in the esteem of his mistress made him misinterpret everything that passed his jealousy was excited in the most sudden and violent manner he flew from lady delacour's to mrs luttridge's he was soothed and flattered by the apparent kindness with which he was received by annabella and her aunt but after dinner when one of the servants whispered to mrs luttridge who sat next to him that mr clarence harvey was above stairs he gave such a start that the fair annabella's lap did not escape a part of the bumper of wine which she was going to drink to her health in the confusion and apologies which this accident occasioned mrs luttridge had time to consider what might be the cause of the start and she combined her suspicions so quickly and judiciously that she guessed the truth that he feared to be seen at the e o table by a person who might find it for his interest to tell the truth to belinda portman mr vincent said she in a low voice i have such a terrible headache that i am fit for nothing i am not up to e o to-night so you must wait for your revenge till to-morrow mr vincent was heartily glad to be relieved from his engagement and he endeavoured to escape clarence's suspicions by devoting his whole time this evening to annabella not in the least apprehensive that mr harvey would return the next night mr vincent was at the e o table at the usual hour for he was excessively anxious to regain what he had lost not so much for the sake of the money which he could afford to lose but lest the defalcation in his fortune should lead mr percival to the knowledge of the means which had occasioned it he could not endure after his high wants to see himself humbled by his rash confidence in himself 
and he secretly vowed that if he could but reinstate himself by one night's good luck he would forever quit the society of gamblers a few months before this time he would have scorned the idea of concealing any part of his conduct any one of his actions from his best friend mr percival but his pride now reconciled him to the meanness of concealment and here the acuteness of his feelings was to his own mind an excuse for dissimulation so fallacious is moral instinct unenlightened or uncontrolled by reason and religion mr vincent was disappointed in his hopes of regaining what he had lost this was not the fortunate night which mrs luttridge's prognostics had vainly taught him to expect he played on however with all the impetuosity of his natural temper his judgment forsook him he scarcely knew what he said or did and in the course of a few hours he was worked up to such a pitch of insanity that in one desperate moment he betted nearly all that he was worth in the world and lost he stood like one stupefied the hum of voices scarcely reached his ear he saw figures moving before him but he did not distinguish who or what they were supper was announced and the room emptied fast while he remained motionless leaning on the eo table he was roused by mrs luttridge saying as she passed don't you sup to-night mr harvey vincent looked up and saw clarence harvey opposite to him his countenance instantly changed and the lightning of anger flashed through the gloom of despair he uttered not a syllable but his look said how is this sir here again to-night to watch me to enjoy my ruin to be ready to carry the first news of it to belinda at this last thought vincent struck his closed hand with violence against his forehead and rushing by mr harvey who in vain attempted to speak to him he pressed into the midst of the crowd on the stairs and let himself be carried along with them to the supper-room at supper he took his usual seat between mrs luttridge and the fair annabella and as if determined to brave the observing eyes of clarence hervey who was at the same table he affected extravagant gaiety he ate drank talked and laughed more than any of the company toward the end of the supper his dog who was an inmate at mrs luttridge's licked his hands to put him in mind that he had given him nothing to eat drink cuba drink and never have done boy cried vincent holding a bumper of wine to the dog's mouth he's the only dog i ever saw taste wine then snatching up some of the flowers which ornamented the table he swore that juba should henceforward be called anacreon and that he deserved to be crowned with roses by the hand of beauty the fair annabella instantly took a hothouse rose from her bosom and assisted in making the garland with which she crowned the new anacreon insensible to his honours the dog who was extremely hungry turned suddenly to mrs luttridge by whom he had till this night regularly been fed with the choicest morsels and lifting up his huge paw laid it as he had been wont to do upon her arm she shook it off he knowing nothing of the change in his master's affairs laid the paw again upon her arm and with that familiarity to which he had long been encouraged raised his head almost close to the lady's cheek 
down juba down sir down cried mrs luttridge in a sharp voice down juba down sir repeated mr vincent in a tone of bitter feeling all his assumed gaiety forsaking him at this instant down juba down sir down as low as your master thought he and pushing back his chair he rose from table and precipitately left the room little notice was taken of his retreat the chairs closed in and the gap which his vacant place left was visible but for a moment the company were as gay as before the fair annabella smiled with a grace as attractive and mrs luttridge exulted in the success of her schemes whilst her victim was in the agonies of despair clarence harvey who had watched every change of vincent's countenance saw the agony of soul with which he rose from the table and quitted the room he suspected his purpose and followed him immediately but mr vincent had got out of the house before he could overtake him which way he was gone no one could tell for no one had seen him the only information he could gain was that he might possibly be heard of at nerot's hotel or at governor montfort's in portland place the hotel was but a few yards from mrs luttridge's clarence went there directly he asked for mr vincent one of the waiters said that he was not yet come in but another called out mr vincent sir did you say i've just shown him up to his room which is the room i must see him instantly cried harvey not to-night you can't see him now sir mr vincent won't let you in i can assure you sir i went up myself three minutes ago with some letters that came whilst he was away but he would not let me in i heard him double lock the door and he swore terribly i can't go up again at this time o night for my life i dare not sir where is his own man has mr vincent any servant here mr vincent's man cried clarence let me see him you can't sir mr vincent has just sent his black the only servant he has here out on some message indeed sir there's no use in going up continued the waiter as clarence sprang up two or three stairs at once mr vincent has desired nobody may disturb him i give you my word sir he'll be very angry and besides twould be to no purpose for he'll not unlock the door is there but one door to the room said mr harvey and as he asked the question he pulled a guinea out of his pocket and touched the waiter's hand with it oh now i recollect yes sir there's a private door through a closet maybe that mayn't be fastened clarence put the guinea into the waiter's hand who instantly showed him the way up the back staircase to the door that opened into mr vincent's bedchamber leave me now whispered he and make no noise the man withdrew and as mr harvey went close to the concealed door to try if it was fastened he distinctly heard a pistol cocked the door was not fastened he pushed it softly open and saw the unfortunate man upon his knees the pistol in his hand his eyes looking up to heaven clarence was in one moment behind him and seizing hold of the pistol he snatched it from vincent's grasp with so much calm presence of mind and dexterity that although the pistol was cocked it did not go off mr harvey exclaimed vincent starting up astonishment overpowered all other sensations but the next instant recovering the power of speech 
is this the conduct of a gentleman mr harvey of a man of honour cried he thus to intrude upon my privacy to be a spy upon my actions to triumph in my ruin to witness my despair to rob me of the only he looked wildly at the pistol which clarence held in his hand then snatching up another which lay upon the table he continued you are my enemy i know it you are my rival i know it belinda loves you nay affect not to start this is no time for dissimulation belinda loves you you know it for her sake for your own put me out of the world put me out of torture it shall not be called murder it shall be called a duel you have been a spy upon my actions i demand satisfaction if you have one spark of honour or of courage within you mr hervey show it now fight me sir openly as man to man rival to rival enemy to enemy fire if you fire upon me you will repent it replied clarence calmly for i am not your enemy i am not your rival you are interrupted vincent raising his voice to the highest pitch of indignation you are my rival though you dare not avow it the denial is base false unmanly oh belinda is this the being you prefer to me gamester wretch as i am my soul never stooped to falsehood treachery i abhor courage honour and a heart worthy of belinda i possess i beseech you sir continued he addressing himself in a tremulous tone of contempt to mr harvey i beseech you sir to leave me to my own feelings and to myself you are not yourself at this moment and i cannot leave you to such mistaken feelings replied harvey command yourself for a moment and hear me use your reason and you will soon be convinced that i am your friend my friend your friend for what purpose did i come here to snatch this pistol from your hand if it were my interest my wish that you were out of the world why did i prevent you from destroying yourself do you think that the action of an enemy use your reason i cannot said vincent striking his forehead i know not what to think i am not master of myself i conjure you sir for your own sake to leave me for my own sake repeated harvey disdainfully i am not thinking of myself nor can anything you have said provoke me from my purpose my purpose is to save you from ruin for the sake of a woman whom though i am no longer your rival i have loved longer if not better than you have there was something so open in harvey's countenance such a strong expression of truth in his manner that it could not be resisted and vincent in an altered voice exclaimed you acknowledge that you have loved belinda and could you cease to love her impossible and loving her must you not detest me no said clarence holding out his hand to him i wish to be your friend i have not the baseness to wish to deprive others of happiness because i cannot enjoy it myself in one word to put you out at ease with me for ever i have no pretensions i can have none to miss portman i am engaged to another woman 
In a few days you will hear of my marriage. Mr. Vincent threw the pistol from him and gave his hand to Harvey. Pardon what I said to you just now, cried he. I knew not what I said. I spoke in the agony of despair. Your purpose is most generous, but it is in vain. You come too late. I am ruined past all hope. He folded his arms, and his eyes reverted involuntarily to his pistols. "'The misery that you have this night experienced,' said Mr. Harvey, "'was necessary to the security of your future happiness.' "'Happiness!' repeated Vincent. "'Happiness! There is no happiness left for me. My doom is fixed, fixed by my own folly, my own rash, headstrong folly.' madman that i was what could tempt me to the gaming-table oh if i could recall but a few days a few hours of my existence but remorse is vain prudence comes too late do you know said he fixing his eyes upon harvey do you know that i am a beggar that i have not a farthing left upon earth go to belinda tell her so Tell her that if she had ever the slightest regard for me, I deserve it no longer. Tell her to forget, despise, detest me. Give her joy that she has escaped having a gamester for a husband. I will, said Clarence. I will, if you please, tell her what I believe to be true, that the agony you have felt this night, the dear-bought experience you have had, will be for ever a warning. A warning! interrupted vincent oh that it could yet be useful to me but i tell you it comes too late nothing can save me i can said mr harvey swear to me for belinda's sake solemnly swear to me that you will never more trust your happiness and hers to the hazard of a die swear that you will never more directly or indirectly play at any game of chance and I will restore to you the fortune that you have lost. Mr. Vincent stood as if suspended between ecstasy and despair. He dared not trust his senses. With a fervent and solemn adjuration he made the vow that was required of him, and Clarence then revealed to him the secret of the E.O. table. When Mrs. Luttridge knows that I have it in my power to expose her to public shame, she will instantly refund all that she has iniquitously won from you. Even among gamblers she would be blasted for ever by this discovery. She knows it, and if she dared to brave public opinion, we have then a sure resource in the law. Prosecute her. The laws of honour as well as the laws of the land will support the prosecution but she will never let the affair go into a court of justice. I will see her early, as early as I can to-morrow, and put you out of suspense. Most generous of human beings, exclaimed Vincent, I cannot express to you what I feel, but your own heart, your own approbation. Farewell, good night, interrupted Clarence. I see that I have made a friend. I was determined that Belinda's husband should be my friend. I have succeeded beyond my hopes, and now I will intrude no longer," said he, as he closed the door after him. 
His sensations at this instant were more delightful even than those of the man he had relieved from the depth of despair. How wisely has Providence made the benevolent and generous passions the most pleasurable! End of chapter 28, part 2 Read by Lars Rolander